Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 132 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 25th, 2010. Got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Fall camp is over. Now they're starting game preparations. USC is practicing like they're getting ready for the game against Hawaii, September 2nd, out on the island. So it should be a good show. They're all getting ready. They're working against the scout team. It's a little different feel than fall camp. Now it's a little more business-like. They're trying to get prepared for their first opponent, which is the University of Hawaii. If you have any questions or comments, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call. Leave us a voicemail at 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. You can leave us a Parasail Podcast voicemail. We'll play your voicemail on the podcast and answer your questions or or comment about your comments any of that just drop us a voicemail 206-888-6755 we got a lot of recruiting to get to later on the show but first we want to talk to the coach harvey hyde from catalina island coach i could smell the salt water in the air when we talk to you from catalina how you doing I'm doing great, buddy. I'll tell you, I'm leaving today because I want to get to practice, and uh, I'm coming over to uh, the Los Angeles area on one of its warmest days, so I'm not very smart on my selection, (laughs) but I'm I'm ready to go, and uh, I'm going to be at a lot of practices now so I can become more familiar with what's happening with game planning and personnel and so on. When they get serious, then I get serious, and this is the time now for football faces the change it's time to hit a different color and it's a time where it gets to be a lot of fun and uh this is what it's uh for all of us i mean we get to get out and watch college football at its best sc is going to have a national tv audience on september the 2nd against the university of hawaii i was talking with the university of hawaii last night and they have closed their practices now as sc has closed uh their practices so they said if sc is going to close theirs uh, we're going to close ours so their media are the only ones allowed in close family to go to their practice, and they're going to be out at the Honolulu Stadium for a practice or two to get used to the turf out there. And SC, of course, has closed their practices and going to game plan week. And, uh, you know, you have to prepare against a different type of team, the University of Hawaii, which we'll get into here a little bit or next uh, week when we do our segment. But uh, let's thank Southern California t- service before i start talking too much yeah sctickets.com if you need tickets they're great usc home schedule this year so if you need tickets for any of that 1-800-888-7287 tickets for usc concerts sport any kind of other sporting events in the southern california area or anywhere across the country theater take your wife your girlfriend someplace cool southern california tickets give a try 1-800-888-7287 and coach yeah it's been a very interesting fall camp and uh there's some some newcomers. I think maybe we could kind of touch base with those guys first that have have shined really well. And I know one we talked about off the air is Nickel Roby, and he worked his way up from you know just being out there this summer. We saw him a lot this summer. He looked really good and uh, very impressive. Um, 
just very physical kid. He's not that tall, but he's still very physical. He loved to go against big receivers like David Osbury and Kyle Prater over the summer and just get right in their grill. And he was, you know, really impressive there. Worked his way up to become the the starting nickelback, and then from then it looks like he's probably going to be the starting quarterback right now. So just been a really impressive kid. Well, I agree with you 100%, and uh, this is something new. You know, under Pete Carroll, you really didn't see young freshmen who came to camp have that opportunity of playing as a freshman. Now, Woods has that same opportunity, too, to start at the other receiver across from Johnson. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but you see a different philosophy. What you see here is the best player is going to be on the field. Even at middle linebacker with Chris Gallipo, you see this, you see, golly, how can Chris Gallipo not be the starting linebacker in the middle for USC after starting all those games? I think really oh, he has said that, uh, hey, we've evaluated all of you again, and everybody's going to have an opportunity to play, including you incoming freshmen. So the players that jump off the screen on you when you, evaluate, when you recruit them, they come in and they still jump off the videotape and jump off and aren't intimidated by seniors or juniors are, are going to play. And this kid, these two kids have really done that. And I, I tell you, when they signed Robbie, Robbie, I, 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 I was a little questioned. I said, oh, who's this kid? I mean, five, eight, are you kidding me? I mean, what's going on here? You know, there's not that many Rogers in the world and this and that, but there are. But the heart like this, you know, the hearts with, with an athletic ability is what makes the football player. You have a lot of guys that have great athletic ability, but they don't have the heart. But this kid certainly has jumped out of the screen and possible starting as a corner, as a freshman against a passing team like the University of Hawaii. They're going to throw the ball all over the place, so he's going to play anyway. They're probably going to play some type of nickel defense the entire game anyway because they pass the ball to run the football. They'll probably pass the ball 60 times against USC. But um, that's a tremendous a thing to see a young player be able to come in and compete against great athletes. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, Harrison and, and these other kids are great athletes that are playing that corner. Uh, so uh, he has come in and really made an impression to me, and I'm looking forward to seeing him today. I really am. Yeah, uh, definitely. You're going to be impressed, Coach. Just watch him out there. And You, know, you mentioned uh, Chris Gallipo. There was a question from Christopher we got on the linebackers. He said that the USC was linebacker U, under Pete Carroll, obviously that fell off a little bit last year. Uh, but those guys are all back, and Christopher wants to know, so I asked Coach Hyde to give an honest evaluation of the 2010 linebacker corps and their their new coach, Joe Barry. What do you think? Well, I think, first of all, you got a great coach in Joe Barry, and I think the linebackers have a lot of confidence in him. They like him. I've checked and I've talked to a couple of linebackers. They really like him. They'll play hard for him. He explains the techniques and their responsibilities and what their job is and so on. And to be able to get an athlete to play, he's got to feel comfortable and he's got to know what he's expected to do and how to do that. If an athlete is confused, then he can't use his great athletic ability. And I think that uh, Joe Barry brings this to the, uh, the athletes, brings it to the linebacker crew. You know, these linebackers have played a lot of football. You know, you talk about them not having experience. These linebackers have had a lot of experience of playing football. All three of them played a lot last year, and of course that you can't duplicate experience. And I think that now with uh, Kennard in the middle, that just brings more competition. And and I think they're very 
good group of linebackers because they'll execute what they have to do with a good front in front of them. When you have a good front, I mean a defensive front that can hold their ground and allow you to penetrate and allow you to pursue down the line of scrimmage and step into your your gap and make the play and so on, that's that's where the difference is. But if the linemen are driven back and, and tackles are coming down on the linebackers and so on, then that's a difficult way to play football. So I, I think that with the strong front, these backers can run. These packers uh, will be well coached. And I really think the group of them now, they're not deep. They're not deep. But I remember, uh, but I think that Chris is one that can play strong or weak. Chris is one that can uh, play in the middle and spell Kennard. Uh, Kennard, yes, uh, looks like he is the starter, but Gallipo is, is right there. Morgan is more physical than what he's been before and and uh, can play and run, and he's big and I think wants to get to the football. And Smith is one that I really like. I like the size of him. When I look at him now, he's really matured into a man. And uh, I think he'll play a, uh, a great weak side linebacker for for the Trojans this year. I, I look at the Trojan defense to be really solid this year. I really do. And now it'll be difficult to figure them out exactly, but they're going to play a very uh, – different type of team in the University of Hawaii. They're not going to try to pound them. They're going to quick screen them. They're going to quick draw them. They're going to throw three-step quick passes in the seams and so on. So it's just how uh, Monty Kiffin's going to play them. Is he going to play them all tight, man, go after them, drop back? Uh, They're really a great passing team. This is what they're known for. So they're going to see something that they haven't prepared for or seen or played against for a long time. So it's, this is what's made the University of Hawaii. They, they're following along with what June Jones brought to the University of Hawaii and Mouse Davis and that group with the run and shoot. It's, it's like that, and it equalizes the uh, opponent because the opponent can't prepare for it like they run it. It's the same thing as the wishbone was, or the, like the Air Force Academy, how well they run the option. You can't get ready for it in a week. So USC, it'll be real challenging to see how they do because they're not going to try to beat USC by pounding them or anything. They're going to try to beat them by by trying to uh, throw the football. But again, the way you beat the University of Hawaii is you play great defense and you play great offense and you hold the ball so the University of Hawaii can't get the football and keep it away from you and score. So it's, uh, the best defense against the University of Hawaii is going to be the offense on how they – hold the ball and move the football against them. But I think the linebacker crew is solid. I think that they need a little help as far as the injury factor, but I wouldn't worry about it. I think they're, they're going to be good. All right. Well, thank you for that question, Christopher. And uh, they haven't announced a starting middle linebacker, but Kennard has been getting more of the first team reps since they've done like game preparation. So he's, it seems like they're leaning that way, but obviously it's not, not set in stone yet. Uh, well, we got a voicemail question coach. It's from our good friend, Terry and Day, let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Ryan and Coach Hyde. This is Terry. Uh, Coach Hyde, there's now some talk of players maybe playing both ways in future seasons. And I'm a bit worried that playing both ways may be too much to ask for a player today, both mentally and physically. Uh, The offensive systems and the defensive systems are much more complex than they were in the past, and they're certainly more complex than they are in high school where some of these guys played both ways. And, of course, on top of that, they still have their academic responsibilities. So 
What's your view, Coach? Do you think uh, this is something that uh, is too much to ask of a player, or is this something that can be done effectively? Thank you, guys. Great show. Well, thank right. you very much for uh, checking in with us, and I'll give you my opinion on that. I, I think that today it'd be very difficult to go both ways. First of all, because of the intensity of the game and the injury factor, you're expected to play 100% on every play. You can't rest on offense. You can't rest on defense. So I think it's a very difficult thing. You might be able to go on on special down-distance situations to help the offense or help the uh, defense. Uh, you know, they are... There are players on the team that could go both ways, that have done it in high school and could do it in college. But you're not going to see someone doing it full time. You might see someone spell someone if the depth chart is really bad or really low or somebody gets injured or so on. As far as learning the systems, yes, it's difficult to learn the systems, uh, especially more on offense than defense. I think on defense, there's only so much you can do as far as playing man or zones or whatever you do, and I think it's easy to adjust to that. But on offense, there's a lot of different play calling, a lot of, of situations and motions and, and uh, audibles and things you have to learn. So I think it would be a difficult thing to ask of your players. But in certain down and distance situations, I think you can ask an athlete to go both ways. But I don't think USC or schools like USC are ever going to get to that where they're going to need to do that. They have enough, enough depth, and everybody is – is is concerned about the numbers of scholarship players at USC and so on, which we all are people that care about football. But when you look at a real, really a, a game, how many players actually play? A lot of them don't play. Now, Pete Carroll rotated a lot of players into the game. Why? Because he had a lot of great athletes. But did that help or did that hurt the offensive rhythm and so on? You know, there's been a lot of controversy on that. Did he play too many people where they got delay of games or people never got the feel of a player never got the feel of the game and so on? I think you're not going to see that with Lane Kiffin's staff. I think you're going to see the best players on special teams. You're going to see the best players on offense, the best players on defense. And, and I think that's going to add to... Uh, the uh, mistake factor regarding USC's football team. I think you're going to see better special teams when you see better players performing on special teams, when you see starters on special teams, when you see uh, great athletes on special teams. Uh, it's not a place to rest. Special teams is not a play to take off. It's a play to take advantage of something. So, uh, uh, I, I don't think you're going to see many players going both ways. But, yes, in special situations, it could happen. All right. Well, Coach, yeah, I think the question came from, you know, Lane Kiffin kind of mentioned that before. I, I almost felt that Kiffin was taking a shot at the NCAA, that there were, you know, limited number of scholarships and they might have to do something like that in the future. He said they wouldn't have to do something like that this year, but – you know, it was po something that was possible down the line where they, they do get really limited number of scholarships and they might have to resort to something like that. It didn't sound like he wanted to do it. And, you know, like Robert Woods' name came up if he could play defensive back. And, you know, we've already seen Christian Thomas. He started off as a tight end and uh, is now playing defensive end. And uh, there's, you know, guys like that that can do that. And that's, that's actually our next question. Uh, Kevin from Lancaster He's, he said, Coach, I know you're a big fan of Christian Thomas out of Palmdale. I was watching him in high school. He would see time on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, oh, do you think he would see time on the defensive side of the ball at the next level? But I felt his explosiveness would make him a great linebacker. Do you see his tra staff trying to develop him into a rush linebacker, defensive end type player? 
or make him switch back over to tight end. And like I said, right now he started at tight end. He's now playing defensive end, and he's really looked good. A lot of times he's going up against like kind of a walk-on tackle and stuff because they don't have many numbers there on the offensive line. He runs right around. <laughs> he's been running right around people at practice. So I, he's he's shown his he's shown his athleticism when he was a tight end for the first week or so, and he's shown it lately at defensive end. But what do you think, Coach? Well, I think he'll be a great defensive end. I tell you, you got to be a great athlete to play defensive end. He was moved over there a lot when uh, Nick Perry got hurt and Malik Jackson left. And I think uh, this is a great place for him. You know, they got three freshman tight ends or tight ends that came in, and you don't want great athletes sitting. You great well, you want your great athletes playing. It doesn't do you any good to have them all in one position. So what you look for as a head football coach is getting your players or just assistant football coach. You got to get your players on the field. I said that earlier. You got to have them all on the field at the same time. It doesn't do you any good to not have them on the field. And I'll tell you, players knew who know who the best players are, and they know when players aren't getting a chance. They say, you know, he's better than him. And why did why don't the coaches play him? Can't they see he's better? If I in my day when I was coaching. If I would have allowed, say, the defense to pick the starting players on defense, except for their position, they would have picked the same players we picked because they know who the best players are. Or maybe if they felt someone was getting not the fair shake, they might pick someone else. They know who the best players are. And the best players should be on the field. It wouldn't do any good to have Thomas be a backup third or second tight end when he could come over and help the defense and become a great defensive end. So you've got to get your players in positions that they can play and they can help the football team and where they can get on the field. Yes, I think he'll be a great defensive end. I don't think he'll go back to the offensive side of the football. He may, but I think he's found himself a home, and I think he'll do a great job there, especially if he can get through somehow this season by redshirting, somehow. And you're going to see a lot of great players possibly redshirt this year so that their scholarship numbers will be there and the kids will be there when this sanction and the scholarship numbers, which we don't know what those numbers are going to be, uh, take effect. Yep, uh, I tell you what, you've got to get your players in positions where they have an opportunity to, to win and help your team win. All right, I agree with you 100%, Coach, and I think he's going to be special. It might be tough to redshirt him just because of the numbers, the limited numbers there. We'll see Nick Perry gets healthy. Maybe they can do it. But it might be hard for that to happen. Uh, David had a question talking about the, the two-way thing. Uh, does a player, does a position a player play on defense tell you what kind of player he is on offense? And he's talking about when you're recruiting guys that kind of play both ways in high school. Uh, for instance, DeAnthony Thomas played running back and defensive back, where Alan Bradford played running back and linebacker in high school. The coaches and scouts use video of a player on one side of the ball to characterize what his ability or tendencies on the other other side of the ball would be? Well, let me tell you. First of all, in high school, all great athletes go both ways. Uh, you don't have that, that uh, numbers of great athletes. And, again, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, you, you want your great players on the field, and you want them on the field in high school too. So you do have an offensive position, and you do have a defensive uh, position for your players. They're 12-minute quarters in high school. Players are in great shape, and you want them on the field. Chris Gallipo was a running back and, and a linebacker. You know, almost every player uh, out there has gone both ways in high school. They've had to, but that's 
that's the type of athlete they are. When you go to the 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 big time, which USC, Texas, Oklahoma, these plays are, these these level of players in high school went both ways. I mean, uh, they're they're too good to keep on the bench. Uh, you don't have that many great athletes in high school, unless you're a quarterback. You really don't see quarterbacks going both ways in high school uh, because they have more to learn and you don't want to take a chance for them getting hurt because if they get hurt, they could blow your whole season. But you would, you would see defensive tackles, tight ends, linebackers. You see just about everybody going both ways if they have the ability to learn the blocking and the schemes and so on and, and, and uh, of, a, of a high school program. So if you watch great high school players, they've all gone both ways. They've all gone both ways, and it's good for them. They're in different positions. If you're a big line, a big running back, then you play a linebacker. If you're a smaller linebacker or a running back, then you probably be a, a defensive back. If you're a big offensive tackle, you'll probably be a defensive tackle. If you're a tight end and you can really uh, be a great tight end, you'll probably be a defensive end. So, you know, great athletes go both ways in high school, and they can go both ways in college, but we discussed that already, and that normally doesn't happen. Right, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a little harder, Coach, and, uh, but it's true. You get to see some of these kids in high school. That it's great. You're, like, you're looking at a defensive end prospect, and you're like, wow, he caught a really long touchdown pass. You didn't even realize that he was playing tight end or something like that. So it's, it's actually kind of fun to kind of get into that stuff. And if you go out to high school games, I really suggest you do. If you haven't seen a lot of high school football, especially in Southern California, there's some really great games out there. You can see some really cool athletes working the sidelines, working both ways. So it's a lot of fun. Um, well, I tell you, let, let me just mention oh, this. Yeah. Last week they had the Bishop Gorman-Hamilton, Arizona game. Bishop Gorman had won 14 straight games. Hamilton, Arizona had won, now has won 26 straight games. They played it in Fla uh, Flagstaff up there in northern Arizona, sort of like a bowl game for high school football. And uh, Hamilton, Arizona, they were the state champ last year, beat Bishop Gorman 24-17 in the last seconds. And these are great athletes. I mean, they have a lot of Division One schools. And the big tackle that Texas got that SC was recruiting went up against uh, Grimble from Bishop Gorman, who is verbally committed. And the story I get is Grimble just ate him up. So nice. uh, that's great, uh, great plus because Grimble has stayed committed to USC, and he's not the brother of Xavier, but he's the cousin of Xavier. So he's uh, he had a great game in that game. It's just a great football game, and that and it'll be on another channel this week. They play another game, Bishop Gorman, and I don't know what high school station it's going to be on, but uh, tell you, if you want to watch some of these commits uh, of players like Grimble. That is be that is committed to USC from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. You can look that up and and watch that. I tell you, he's a great athlete. It'll be coming in a defensive tackle. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, Coach. We got a little recruiting update from Coach too. This is good stuff. Um, okay, we have another voicemail question. Well, it's more of a suggestion than a question. This is Rich. Uh, just wondering if you guys ever thought about maybe having a segment on your program of uh, whatever happened to or where are they now with uh, ex-Trojans who might have uh, really contributed to the program. And if you have, maybe having maybe one of those guys come in during the week of one of the games coming up, like a UCLA or Notre Dame game. Uh, you know, you've had Anthony Davis has been around for a long time. Maybe you have somebody else besides him. But just a thought, it might make uh, the 
program a little more interesting to get a perspective from guys that have actually played in those games and uh, see what their feelings were and uh, maybe help Trojan fans uh, find out what happened to guys that uh, have moved on. Just a thought. Enjoy the program. Thanks again. Bye. Well, let me tell you, I agree with this guy 100%, and I'll tell you, you know, I'm surprised sometimes that I lose track of uh, the players that even played the last couple of years. And inside the USC Media Guide, it says USC players in the NFL today. And you can go down and look through there and see where every single player on every single team that is in the NFL today. And I'm surprised you think sometimes that some of these players aren't in the NFL, but they are. They are playing for teams uh, uh, in the NFL today. And uh, you'd be surprised on how many players are still active in the NFL. As far as players coming in, uh, Ryan, and, and being on the show and so on, that would be your decision. But, you know, to have a junior say or to have someone uh, like that on the show uh, would be great to, because he has always said, uh, what a Trojan, he's always a Trojan. Mark Carrier, I'm always a Trojan. Some of these guys that have done it all and been in big games and, and uh, have blown out knees or dislocated, dislocated shoulders and so on, not a play in pain or what it means and how, how it feels to be a real Trojan, like the fans do and players do. I think it'd be great to see that side of it. I, I, I know what it means to the former players of mine that have played. Uh, uh, this weekend, I'm going to make a quick trip to Vegas uh, to support the the new football staff there. I'm going up Saturday morning or Saturday and turn around and drive back Sunday. But they have they have a new staff, Bobby Hauk, up there, and I'm going to a get together just to support their program and see a lot of my former players and hug them and so on. Because until you felt the pain and the fun and the sadness of being a part of something and the glory of going to a bowl game, and uh, you got to hear it. You got to hear players talk about it and what the experience means to them and how close they are to their fellow teammates and so on. And I think it'd be great to have some of that if the players are willing to come on and and talk about not how much they like each other, but how much they love each other and how that relationship has been forever. I really like that, Ryan. No, I think it's a, a great idea. We've talked about doing some of that stuff in the past, maybe doing some stories on USCfootball.com. We've uh, we had Anthony Davis come out, and he was great. He spoke at a dinner that we did, and Shane Foley, would, the former quarterback, would, you know, we've had him do a bunch of stories and stuff for the site. But it'd be great. I think it would be cool to have a, a segment on the podcast, and you know, maybe this would have to be combined with the uh, other suggestion we had to do like twice a week a podcast twice a week. You're going to double my work here on the podcast, but maybe we'll do that. So I thank you very much for the suggestion, Rich. And I think, uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about it offline coach and, you know, try to set something up. Cause I, I think a lot of the Trojan fans, everyone I talk to, they seem to want to, especially if they're older fans or, you know, I mean, you could be in your thirties or forties or whatever, or older than that, you, you're going to have guys that you went to college with that you want to know what they're doing. And sometimes they went to the NFL Sometimes they, you know, went and started a business or something. And it's just kind of everyone has a different story. And uh, they'll still have those memories, their common memories of seeing them perform on the field and then how everyone's life kind of goes on different directions after that. And I think it's always a it's always a good story. You know, you can hear what's going on and people seem to enjoy that. So we'll have to do it, Coach. Yep, I think it'd be great. I think it's great. Uh, when I run into the uh, players and talk to them and so on, it's great seeing them and what are you doing now? By gosh, I didn't know you were doing that. Or hey, I saw your your name doing this, or broadcasting, or you know, 
landscaping business or whatever they're doing. And most of these guys have really gone out and used their competitive edge in whatever they go into and have become true winners in their life uh, through football. All right. Well, hey, the last thing I wanted to get to, there's a couple uh, scholarship updates, Coach. Maybe we'll get your thoughts on that. Um, I mean, one of the we put up a scholarship chart. We had a count of 71 scholarships uh, right now being used out of the potential 85. Uh, one of those, though, and this is a question from KC, he hasn't heard much on the status of Soma Vanuku. Uh, you know, he's the uh, uh, fullback that would be coming in. He's the one that isn't in camp right now. The KC wants to know if he's academically eligible to play. So far, he's not. He's not in camp. We're hearing that there were some online classes that he's uh, waiting for. And, he, you know, he, he hasn't really answered, you know, our calls. I think Gerard had given him a bunch of uh, calls and text messages. And he's answered questions except about his academic eligibility so far. So we're, we're not really sure what's going on with that. Um, it's not looking great. I mean, with camp being over already and he's not in there yet. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I think for Jesse Scroggins um, and Demetrius Wright, those two guys, they're, they're expected to come back any day. I mean, Lane Kiffin yesterday at practice said, you know, he doesn't really have any update. That's, he's like, I don't know if they're close. It sounds like they're close. So those guys will be coming in. So there should be, if, if Vanuku doesn't get in, that would be down to 70. Lane Kiffin said yesterday one of the big benefits or one of the be- one of the benefits or one of the pluses to having these sanctions is he's like, hey, we got plenty of scholarships to give out. So they wanted to reward a couple of walk-ons. I know they were kind of hesitant at first because they weren't sure what the sanctions would be, but now they know. And there's a couple guys that were really big contributors. They gave one earlier to Abe Markowitz, the offensive lineman. Um, and then yesterday before practice, they said uh, kicker Joe Houston they gave him a scholarship. He's he's won the starting kicker job, it looks like. I mean, 99% for that. And then also, maybe a guy you haven't heard of, Ross Cumming. Uh, he's a linebacker. Um, he's really been getting second-team reps playing right behind uh, you know Michael Morgan at this point. And they offered him a scholarship as well. He's the kind of guy, when you watch him at practice, he looks like a scholarship guy. He's not a guy that you're like, oh, he's filling in as a walk-on or anything. So I just wanted to congratulate those guys and maybe get your thoughts on that situation, Coach. Well, I think it's great when you are able to give walk-on scholarships. I think that encourage walk-ons to come to your university uh, because uh, what happens, a lot of universities encourage walk-ons to come, but then they never uh, really evaluate them or give them a, a chance uh, to earn a scholarship. And I think that when walk-ons like this get a scholarship, you encourage a, a parent of a great player that maybe has a chance to go to another university on scholarship, say, you know, we think our son can play at USC. We're willing to gamble to pay a year or two uh, of the tuition for him to go there because we feel he can earn a scholarship at USC. I think it's very smart when you're able to, to award these type of scholarships and make it a big deal. I think it's really important that you, in, that you do this because, like I said earlier, kids know who the best players are. Kids know who deserves a scholarship and who doesn't. Kids know who hitters are and who aren't hitters. Kids know who are mis-evaluated and shouldn't be at USC. So when kids know a kid should be getting a scholarship and he's given one, then all that does is help the morale of your team and also encourage parents to say, you know, my kid could go to this other school, but we are going to gamble and hope he can get a scholarship at USC because it means more to us 
for him to graduate from USC and have the experience there and play with USC than go to this other school out of state or whatever. So I like that, and I think it's great for USC to be able to do that. Yeah, Joe Houston actually is roommates with a couple offensive linemen, and they had a little uh, welcome back uh, barbecue for a lot of the athletes yesterday, not just football, but a lot of different teams. And they were uh, Joe Houston was getting mobbed by, by reporters after practice. He was doing all kinds of interviews and, you know, obviously because he got the scholarship and the, the, you know, the offensive line came by and they were all, you know, cheering for him and, and yelling out his name. So it, it definitely was a team bonding experience when you see something like that. Someone that you know has worked alongside you and as hard as you, but they don't have the same kind of benefits you do of having a scholarship. So once those were offered out, I think the whole team kind of rallied around those guys. It, it was good for morale. It was. It was like hitting the lottery, buddy. Yeah. The parents are <laughs> celebrating. What do you think the parents are doing? Woohoo! Wow. I'm going to tell you what, those parents are saying, we just got a pay raise. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's tremendous for the parents and families and the kids. Sweet, Coach. Well, hey, I'll get back safe from Catalina, Coach. We went really long on this segment, so sorry about that. I hope we didn't miss your boat, and uh, we'll uh, see you down in practice, and we'll talk to you next week on the podcast. And thank you, and thank all of you that have been sending in questions and uh, emails and so on, and we look forward to being with you uh, next week. Yeah, thanks to SCTickets.com. Everyone else, we're going to be back in 30 seconds. We've got a lot of recruiting questions to get to with Gerard Martinez, our national recruiting analyst. We'll get to those in just 30 seconds. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back, the Peristyle Podcast. And we have Gerard Martinez, USCFootball.com's national recruiting analyst. Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's hot in the Inland Empire, but, uh, you know, it's kind of good to get a little bit of heat this summer. It's been such a cool summer. Uh, hopefully it... Uh, actually helps the team, you know, prepare for Hawaii because it's going to be humid in Hawaii. It's not going to be super, super hot like it would be in the southeast, but it'll definitely be humid. So uh, it's good to get uh, some uh, some higher temperatures and um, get those guys, you know, used to that, kind of acclimate them to, the, uh, to that kind of climate going into that big game. Yeah, it's even been hot at the beach, and uh, I've been down to practice every day this week. It's hot down there, so it's definitely uh, gives them some – preparation they they get on the field the sun's beating down on them so i think that'll help for hawaii for sure but we have a ton of recruiting questions this week gerard if you have a question podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or drop us a give us a call 206-888-6755 just drop us a voicemail and we can play your voicemail on the podcast and gerard can answer it right from there so you can hear your voice Ask Gerard all the recruiting questions you want. We love them. We got a ton this week, so let's get to it, Gerard. You ready? I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready for the onslaught. I feel it coming. All right. First up from Jay. He only has an initial, just Jay. Do you think? Yeah, it's crazy. I know. It's just like, I don't know. 
He just gave me Jay. So I'm going with Jay. Do you think USC is interested in Todd Barr since they haven't offered him yet? How does he compare to Mr. Greg Townsend Jr.? Oh, okay. Um, well, Barr does not have an offer from USC, as stated. Um, he's different in that uh, he's not really a true defensive end um, in the prototypical sense. Uh, Townsend is. Townsend's closer to that 6'4". Range. He's about 6'3", about 240 pounds. Um, in terms of how he plays off the edge, he plays faster. Whereas Barr is a little more compact. He's quicker. You know, he's you know, 6'1", uh, 255, 260. I think a lot of the questions revolving around Todd Barr is how he's going to build his frame up in college. How much, you know, is putting on some weight going to affect his game? He's very quick. He's a very explosive player. I like him a lot. But in terms of being a pure defensive end, Really, a lot of people think he's going to be more maybe of a defensive tackle, or if he's a defensive end, he might be a defensive end in the 3-4. So um, there's just a lot of differences in terms of them physically, how they're built. And I think, you know, talent-wise, from what we've seen from the camps we've been at, uh, Townsend has just been a little more dominant. Quite frankly, Townsend this year has been the most dominant defensive lineman we've seen across the board. I mean, he really hasn't uh, had any kind of peers uh, across from him on the offensive line, anybody that's really slowed him down a lot. Uh, so, you know, I think you're talking about speed and overall strength and in terms of upside Townsend has more and he has a lot more he can put on his frame he's really kind of a young uh defensive end a, a young 6'3 240 uh, a guy that could definitely put on more muscle and I think become you know even leaner uh putting on that muscle and maybe even getting faster at the next level uh and again that's the question with Barr is, is how he develops and and you know kind of how his body changes in that next level being that he's a little shorter and He's, he doesn't have the same kind of frame um, as, a, as a Greg Townsend. So that's definitely the differences. Um, right now, USC is not really recruiting Barr very hard. Um, last time I talked to him, he said that uh, he was looking at five, six schools. USC was not one of those schools. I think at some point during the summer when he wasn't offered a scholarship after going to the lineman camp, he pretty much decided he was going to move on from USC. Now, whether that would change if USC came in and offered him and, and put the press on him and really started showing him more love, you know, remains to be seen. But it seems like, you know, schools like Cal and, and Washington, and he's got his eye on a couple of Florida schools, he seems like he's, you know, a little more satisfied with the offers he has, and he's looking at those schools and he's focusing more on those schools and taking visits to those schools at this point. All right. Thanks for that question, Jay. Next up, we have Kevin from Lancaster, California. Glad to, He says he's glad to see some kids on the USC roster from my area. I love the show. Long-time listener. Well, thank you very much for listening, Kevin. Question for you, Gerard. He's always felt that in recruiting, you have to clean up at home. Do you feel with the addition of Coach Baxter, will that help in recruiting in Central California? What do you think? Well, you would assume with his ties, uh, being there at Fresno State for 17 years, he does know the high school football coaches in that area very, very well. So he should, from an evaluation standpoint, have a lot of great intel as to who's coming up, uh, you know, who the top players are going to be, not just like this year, but, you know, 2012, 2013. And I think that helps a lot. Uh, in terms of his recruiting prowess, you know, we really haven't heard a lot about him on the road. Uh, obviously, with the kickers and the, and the special team players that they've had, I mean, they have a long snapper now committed. They have a punter uh, slash kicker uh, committed in Andre Irigari. They have those guys, and obviously they talk a lot about Coach Baxter, and they're really pumped up about him. But from a standpoint of maybe Cody Kessler, really didn't hear much about 
Coach Baxter with his recruitment. That was definitely all Clay Helton and Lane Kiffin. So, I mean, as far as the results right now and the production right now, who he's recruiting and who he's on, haven't heard much. I don't know if he's going to be a, a coach that's going to be on the road a lot. Um, that kind of remains to be seen. Haven't heard a lot about that. So you would assume, yeah, it's Central California because he has such good ties that at least, you know, he would be able to know who, who the really good players are and, and who are the guys that may be a little bit overrated. Um, you know, obviously the big, big-time recruit now in uh, Central California at this point is Brandon Bigelow, and USC doesn't look like they're in that race at all. They don't look like they really want to be in that race. Uh, that's been kind of controversial on the Peristyle. There's some people who watch his film when healthy – 5'11", 5'10", 180-pound running back who was, uh, you know, broke, I think, the 100-meter uh, yard uh, or the 100-meter dash record in California as a freshman and uh, is, a, is a guy that's a legitimate 10'5 guy when he's healthy. Could have been probably 10'4 if he would have remained healthy uh, after his junior year here, but he got hurt. Busted his ACL up pretty bad. Um, he is coming back. He is going to play this season. Committed to Washington. I know Washington coaches are holding their breath on that. They kind of, I think, would rather have him wait a little bit and maybe not play so much this season. But he's a competitor. He wants to go after it. Uh, but USC, you know, they've 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 got some guys that have had some knee injuries, and they bring in DJ Morgan, who's another track type player um, that has you know is coming off an ACL. You talk about the scholarship limitations. They don't want to take chances on a lot of guys, and it's a possibility that with Brendan Bigelow, he is dynamic when he's healthy. You watch his tape. He is one of the closest things you'll see to Reggie Bush out there, but uh, it remains to be seen what he'll look like coming back from that injury, being a speed back, being a guy that his suddenness, his agility, you know, all those things where you have to have good solid knees to be able to pull off some of the moves that he does on film, you know, is he going to be able to retain that? Is it going to come back after the rehab? Nobody knows. So um, that's where, you know, Central California kind of sits right now. Cody Kessler is a guy that uh, USC's got. Brandon Bigelow is a guy that a lot of people USC, they want USC to go after and they want to recruit, but at this point they're not. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe Coach Baxter has some insight into, uh, you know, Brandon Bigelow's uh, rehab and, and whether that's an injury he can come back to. Obviously that's just speculation and conjecture, but um, in terms of results right now, uh, Baxter's really been more focused on special teams and not necessarily just that area as a recruiter. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Kevin. Next up, Mark wants to know how, why Pete Carroll got caught with so few offensive linemen, particularly at that position and quarterback are positions where experience at a redshirt year tend to really benefit a college player making it important to have a number of bodies in the program. So what do you think about that? It's definitely been a point of contention of people talking about offensive line recruiting on the peristyle. How, why? Um, it's been a question that's come up in years past. And honestly, it's a question that I totally don't have a real answer for um, because at the time I felt like there were players that USC could have gone after, should have gone after, uh, guys like Michael Chris last year that, you know, it's debatable whether a guy's going to come in, he's going to be an all-star, uh, he's going to be a great player. I think on the offensive line, you do have to just have some contributors sometimes. You do just have to have some depth and be able to put out more than seven linemen in a spring game. And really the philosophy that I know with the last coaching staff is that they just didn't want dead weight on the roster. They didn't want to have too many offensive linemen on the roster because the thinking is if you've got an offensive lineman that doesn't turn out, he can't 
go to another position. If you recruit maybe a defensive end or defensive tackle and they don't work out on the defensive line, you can always put them over to, to the offensive line. Uh, a running back you can put over maybe to linebacker or, or et cetera, a fullback. You can mismatch a lot of different players depending on position. If they don't work out at one position, you can move them to another. But with offensive line, there's really nowhere else to go. So the thinking was always, you know, we want to get some playmakers. We want to recruit good players uh, like more running backs and more receivers because those guys can help us win ball games. Whereas if we recruit a line, or excuse me, a lineman that doesn't cut it, he's just going to be sitting there on the line and he's not going to be able to really help you contribute very much. I understand the logic there, but I don't necessarily think that that's how you can go or how they at least went in the past couple of years. I think that they did kind of balk on some guys and there were guys that probably could have come in and at least give you a couple years. You know, even on a scout team, I, I know USC's recruiting four and five star guys and it's kind of hard to think that way. Like, Oh, you know, well this guy at least can be a body can come in and, and, and give us some reps on the scout team and maybe be a contributor later in the senior year. But the truth of the matter is, I think you're building a strong team from top to bottom. You're going to have to have some serviceable guys. You're going to have to have some, blue collar guys you're going to have to have some guys that are just role players that come in and they do what they're supposed to do and they're not necessarily going to be stars they don't necessarily have a lot of ambition to be stars and you get them because they're guys who maybe they just love USC and they're guys who can come in and you know give you some work and give you some depth and allow your starters you know a little bit of a break and and not have to rotate those guys in every play on a scrimmage or every play on a practice so um, the truth of the matter is you know I don't know is it going to change with this staff that's a question that remains to be seen uh there are guys three-star guys out there that uh you know usc could recruit right now it seems like they are starting to open up a little bit especially on the juco front with offensive linemen um and they're in a good position with a couple offensive linemen on the juco front so they're you know that might actually work out for them where they get some talented players that have some maturity that can step in and do some things for them right away that's always you know positive uh, the problem with juco's and we've talked about on the peristyle time time again is that there's a little bit of a risk there. USC, it's tough to get those guys in academically. So we'll kind of have to see how that plays out. But, uh, you know, I understand, um, you know, the, the, the kind of complaints that have come along with, you know, sure. why do we recruit this guy? And right. This guy, you know, could easily play for us. Um, you know, sometimes, it, you know, you, you, you just go, okay, that's true. I agree with that. But other times, you know, I, I think that uh, maybe USC passed on a guy and, and it was a good thing that they passed on a guy. You know, it just it, it just depends. But you definitely don't want to be in the situation they are in now with uh, the lack of numbers they have on the offensive line. All right. Well, thank you for that one, Mark. Uh, this one's from Joe. SC has obvious needs on the offensive line, defensive tackle, and linebacker. I've noticed that their list of available top-shelf targets isn't always very large at this point. If those prospects don't commit to USC, will they be left hanging in the wind with only one OL commit like this year? Or can they go pretty much after any three-star prospect at a, a position, offer them, and grab them at will? What do you think? That's from Joe. Well, it kind of goes back to the first question about do you want to, you know, what's the standard? Sometimes I think the standard for USC can be a little bit of a handicap. The, with the last staff, I think it was. Again, you, you talked about can we go and recruit any three-star linebacker uh, that you want to. Well, that's, that's a question for, you know, does the staff feel like, okay, 
it doesn't really matter if this guy is going to be a big-time all-conference player for us or not. We're just looking for a guy that can come in and give us some minutes on special teams and be a guy that maybe, you know, before he leaves USC, he's able to contribute in some way, you know, in a couple games. That's kind of hard, I think, to wrap your head around when you're out there and you're recruiting the best of the best. And, you know, I don't know if USC is going to be able to do that, if they're, if they're able to kind of step back from the standard that they've recruited with in the past couple of years. Um, will they get stuck with one offensive lineman? I don't think so. I, I think they realize they've got to recruit some offensive linemen. Now, are they going to go to the high school ranks and start recruiting guys that they feel are projects? California is full of projects. This is the one thing that I think needs to be really put out in the open. I think when you're looking for linemen specifically, this is a fantastic year for defensive linemen in California, especially defensive tackles. You're not going to see this kind of year very often. Um, and, and, and it's similar to you know, some, of the line, some of the offensive line years where you can have a great offensive line year. That's really not the norm for California. It's usually not this bad. The past couple of years has been really bad for offensive linemen, but it's not going to be spectacular you're not going to see a ton of guys like Kevin Graff coming out of high school in California. You really don't see guys 290, 6'5", 6'6". You're going to see a lot more 6'4", 6'5", guys that are 260, guys that are sometimes 250. I think Giovanni DiPaolo is a better example of what you get from California. A lot of these kids out here, they play multiple sports. They can play all kinds of different sports in the offseason. They don't sit back and eat mama's you know, fried chicken and, and, and home cooking like they do in the South. They just are not that way. You've got to look and project a little better, I think. I think USC has to kind of take a step back and go, all right, there's some guys out there. They're not 300 pounds right now, but they're guys that can project and we can put the weight on them and not you know, necessarily worry about, oh, well, you know, he's not going to be able to, to, to move – you know, uh, Jarrell Casey off the line as a sophomore. Well, you know, you maybe you have to redshirt some guys, and he's not going to be able to play until his, you know, sophomore redshirt year or something like that. I think necessarily at the top, you try to get the best guys. You try to get those guys, that, you know, the Chantrell Hendersons. But I think you got to backfill the class a little bit, and you go after some guys that maybe are in that two you know, six four, two sixty range because I think that's really where California is. You see a lot of really good players coming out of California that end up in the NFL that you look back at them in high school and they weren't, you know, two hundred and ninety pounds. They were they were smaller guys. And that goes for the defensive side of the ball too. You're gonna have a lot of those guys that are that two forty, two fifty range. And those guys from California end up being defensive tackles once they get two or three years under them in college. That's just the way it is out here. It's the difference between going back east and going and creating out here in California. The example that always comes up, and I don't ramble in a little bit, but this is a really important example to point out when you're talking about that projection. And we mentioned it in a big, long article that we did um, talking about you know recruiting in-state as opposed to recruiting out-state and kind of comparing the philosophies of a, like a Texas, the way they recruit and the way USC does it. You know, Brian Cushing, good example of a guy, out-of-state guy, big-time linebacker, recruit him from New Jersey, comes in, you know, 6'4", 220. He's a guy that plays right away. And he was a great player from right away from, from USC, and he was a great player when he left USC. And then you look at a guy like Clay Matthews Jr. Nobody even talked about Clay Matthews Jr. I don't even know if he was in the Rivals.com database as a walk-on freshman at USC. He comes in, no way he's going to play, no way he can play early on. Nobody talked about it. Kind of came in underassumed. Didn't have a scholarship until, I don't know, what his sophomore year I think it was. But the guy in the program developed, and that's kind of what you get out of California. And by the time he graduates, 
from USC. He's equal to Brian Cushing. I mean, those guys are interchangeable. I mean, the NFL draft kind of shows you that, and the way those guys are playing in the NFL kind of shows you that. They're both really good players, and I think that's what you got to really kind of understand about California. You can have that Clay Matthews. He's going to be a great player when he graduates, but you just got to take a little more time with him, and I just think that's the truth with a lot of those California players. So when you're talking about offensive linemen, um, and, you're, and you're talking about defensive linemen, that's kind of a way, that's the approach you have to have, I think, when you're recruiting. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Joe. This one's Mart from Martin. He's pleased with Theron Collier. He uh, transferred to USC from Miami. We got to see him work it out this week. He looked, he looked actually pretty good out there. He's helping with some special teams, working on the service team. Uh, I think Martin says it's, he thinks it's a victory for the program to get a player like that, as talented as he is, to transfer to USC. But he wants to know if that transfer will impact the chances of landing George Farmer or DeAnthony Arnett. What do you think? Everybody's looking at the dominoes, the domino effect of recruiting. I don't think so. Um, first and foremost, Collier is very much a specialist, and a lot of people are, you know, up in arms, and, and this kind of, you know, gives you an idea of, of how spoiled USC fans have been throughout the years. Uh, you know, what, Collier, why don't we recruit this Collier kid receiver? We need linebackers. We need uh, linemen. He's a good player. Collier is a very good player, and he's a guy that can contribute. And maybe he's not a full-time receiver. Maybe he's a guy that can contribute just on special teams, or maybe he's a guy you can you know flip him over in the corner. I'd love to see what he could do at cornerback personally. Um, but he's a good player, and USC needs numbers. They're not even at that 75 now, so people are kind of sweating about it. It's like, listen, you're not even at 75 now. In a couple of years, who knows what the scholarship situation is going to be at USC? Um, so you get the good players where you can get them. And this is a kid that's coming from uh, Miami team that you know people think is going to win the ACC this year. And he's willing to transfer into USC knowing the bowl situation, knowing the scholarship situation, knowing the sanction situation. I think that says a lot about his willingness to compete. So, yeah, I like that player. I want to bring that player in regardless of what position he's playing. He plays quarterback. Hey, bring him in here, man. A guy wants to compete, wants to play. Who knows? Maybe he ends up being the best of the best. Um, so from that standpoint, I think it's a good pickup by USC. Um, uh, in terms of Farmer and, and, and Arnett, I mean, Arnett, he's a little closer to Arnett in terms of being probably more of a slot guy. But, you know, I, I mean, I think Anthony Arnett just really likes USC. He actually just set up his official visit for October 29th against Oregon. He's going to come out here. He's talked about he wants to commit sometime around October. Um, so we'll see how that goes. He's, he's a lot more polished of a player, uh, a lot more smooth. He's, he's really different in terms of the attributes that he has compared to Collier. George Farmer's just a completely, completely different player. He's going to end up playing really a different position on the receiver uh, core. He, he'll end up probably being uh, more of an X, um, the way he's growing George Farmer, uh, than Collier, where Collier will be a slot guy. He'll play Y. Uh, he may be even a, a guy that uh, you know you kind of move around, play a little Z. Um, again, though, I think he's more of a specialist. I think he's a guy that really gives you a lot on special teams and punt returns and kick returns. And, and really, truthfully, I think Arnett or Farmer are, are going to be playing special teams when they get to USC. Uh, from a kick return standpoint. All right. Uh, next one. Thanks, Martin. Next one up is Mike. He had a question about how players are listed in rivals, the prospects. Many top prospects have offers from USC but aren't assigned a recruiting coordinator. Is it correct to assume that recruiting coordinators are only assigned to key prospects? And this is if you're looking in the database. It'll usually say, you know, which assistant coach is recruiting that kid from any particular school. That's what they're talking about here. Yeah, and the well, the recruiting coordinator. There's one recruiting coordinator, and that's Ed Ergeron. And then each coach 
has a recruiting area. Uh, he will recruit a specific region, and and that's of all kids in that region. So any kid being recruited by USC will have a coach in charge of his recruitment. Um, if it's not listed in the database, it's just not listed because when that recruit uh, was 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 added um, and he got a scholarship offer, uh, it just wasn't put in there. Or there's some question as to who's really recruiting him. Sometimes uh, the, the position supersedes the region. Um, if it's a receiver, sometimes uh, you'll you'll have uh, uh, you know, Johnny Morton will end up recruiting that kid harder, even though it's not in his region, you know, it's a Florida kid or whatever. It kind of, there's a little bit of ebb and flow with that. Um, but no, every recruit that's legitimately targeted by USC, some of these kids have offers and, you know, they're, they're not really going to USC and USC, you know, not really recruiting them that hard and in contact with them enough to where it even matters, you know, who's recruiting them. But the guys that are there, like Anthony Internet example, I mean, John Morton's all over that. I mean, that's John Morton's guy. He talks to John Morton every week and that's the guy in charge of his recruitment all the way. Um, Victor Blackwell, um, Ed Ergeron recruited him, uh, not his position, but he was recruiting Orange County. That'll probably be handed over uh, to Kennedy Pola here um, as they kind of trans- transition into that. You know, the, the new coach is coming in and, and coming up to the year. We haven't really gotten any kind of official word on what, what's going to happen uh, with Pola and, and what his, uh, you know, his region are going to be necessarily, but you would figure Orange County haven't gotten a modern day, and he definitely has a lot of uh, great Polynesian connections that USC has kind of lacked um, in the past couple of years, and uh, he'll probably be able to hit Utah and Hawaii. So you'll see him connected to any of the top players that USC is targeting and really actively recruiting in those areas. All right, one last one. This is from Gerald to Gerard. Uh, he wants to know what Nikel Roby's wingspan is or his standing reach. I actually asked Roby that after Tuesday's practice because we uh, did a video interview with him. So I checked with him, and he wasn't sure, but, you know, he definitely has long arms. So we don't know exactly what it is. But Gerald says, if you look at Rajon Rondo, he's only 6'1", but has a 6'9 wingspan. Reach compensates for a shorter height and getting rebounds. For those of you that saw him play on the recruiting trail, recruiting trail, and he puts you in, in parentheses there, Gerard, how does Roby compare to Latuan Anderson? Anderson was supposedly around 5'8 and 3 quarters, although he's listed at 5'11". Wow, and that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know. That might have been actually uh, a question to Gerald because uh, we always get that mixed up. <laughs> um, it might not have been from Gerald. It might have been to Gerald. Uh, but uh, it's a good question. Uh, Latuan Anderson is, uh, is really a safety. There was some talk about him playing corner because he's not the tallest guy in the world. Um, 5'8", I don't know. He's probably closer to that 5'10 range. Uh, but he's a powerful player. Good speed, uh, strong, uh, definitely plays bigger than he is. Of course, you can say the same thing about Roby, and I think that's where the wingspan question comes in. The thing about Roby, he does have long arms, but the, in addition to having long arms, he's got a credible vertical leap. He's got a great vertical leap. I remember hearing that kind of the beginning of when USC started recruiting him, that kept on coming up as, man, this guy's vertical. It's just out of this 40-inch plus vertical, 40-inch plus vertical. He's a small guy, but he's explosive. And that's, you know, when you see a kid that uh, that has his build, and he's probably closer to 185 now than the 175 he was listed coming out of high school. And uh, you got a guy who's got good speed, but he's got that great vert. You know he's explosive, and um, he does play it, and he's very physical. They're similar in some respects, but I think – Roby is much more agile, has much better balance. I think his instincts 
right now being that he's played corner and I think he feels comfortable at corner are better suited for corner. And really his ball skills are probably a little better. Uh, Latorre Anderson is a very, very good player. I would have loved to see him at USC and kind of see what the coaches would have done with him, maybe playing safety. Because USC at this point really lacks a good free safety. Um, They've kind of got Starling playing free safety. I think truth of the matter is he's really more of a strong safety, so they kind of got the two-strong safety thing going again, which Pete Carroll liked to do. But I think in the way that Monty Kiffin wants to run the cover two, I think they really would be better off having more of a cover guy. Latuan Anderson would have been that. He was more of a cover guy. Um, and that's, again, why people thought, well, you know what, he could be converted maybe in the safety. I do actually think that, or excuse me, uh, you know, converted into a corner because, again, the height and his, you know, just kind of not being necessarily the biggest guy in the world. But I do think he'll end up playing safety in Miami. And, you know, I think Roby's just such a – man, he's just such a prototype. Even though he's small, he's, he's just – I don't know, man. He's so good. I, I just – when I watched him and I started watching him, you know, a few different practices, I just looked at him and I go, man, this guy is so aggressive. He's so skilled. He kind of has a lot of those – things that you see in Sharice Wright, obviously not as tall, not as big, but he's probably a little quicker and a little faster than Sharice Wright. And, um, you know, some of the bigger guys that go against him actually have a harder time getting off the line and press coverage against him because he gets right underneath your pads. I mean, he's just really hard to get away from. Um, Anderson, when we saw him in San Antonio, had a good week. I saw him a couple practices. And he was he was okay. Again, I think him playing corner, it was a little more of a square peg in a round hole, and he had not played the position, you know, so much. So his footwork wasn't there. It wasn't good technique. I would have liked to see him, you know, kind of play the field a little more as a safety. I think even though he's short, I think he could do, you know, some of those maybe those Troy Palomalu type things um, as a safety. Not to say he's going to be that good, but um, I think he could get away with it, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world. You know, Bob Sanders. There are guys out there that even though they're not big really are better at safety and I kind of just get the feel that him playing in space is better whereas a guy like Mikel Roby I think he plays well in space but I think he's really 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 good when you can press man I mean get him right up on the receiver he just step for step I mean he's in your shoes every route that you run he loves that he loves getting up in there so yeah we'll be curious to see how he does I was really impressed with him over the summer and man he's done really well in the fall too he's impressed the coaches so now it looks like he's going to be or at least has a great shot at being the starting corner opposite Sharice Wright for right now. He went from starting nickel to starting corner, so we'll see where he goes from there. We definitely wish him luck. Well, Gerard, thanks very much. We get an extra long recruiting segment. We had so many recruiting questions this week. And it's again, the heat, man. It's bringing out of everybody. Yeah, they want to know. Recruit. I mean, camp's going on. We're in the middle of camp. The games are coming. So that means when you all think they're going to talk about football, nope, they want to talk some recruiting. So it's, it's good well, stuff, though. I tell you what, recruiting is going to be a lot more active, I think, during the season this year. Past year, as we've seen, you know, Pete Carroll like to kind of push the recruiting back more till after the season. I think this year you're going to see Lane Kiffin try to use the product on the field as one of the greatest, uh, you know, sales pitches for USC. I mean, I think they feel confident that they're going to have a good football team and if they can display that and they can go and they have some good home games this year. I mean, you got Cal at home, you got Oregon at home, you got Notre Dame at home. Those are big games. You got the home opener against Virginia. You know, if you can go out there and you can play well, uh, there's not a whole lot better, uh, you know, of a, of a, 
of a, of a selling factor to USC in addition to the coaching staff. I mean, that's the other thing that we've seen past years. These guys can sell. These guys are great. They've got great rapport with the recruits, and when the recruits get around them for a significant amount of time, um, they really can turn some guys. So we saw it, you know, with very little time left in the recruiting process last year, and a whole year this year, uh, or at least not whole year, but I mean, almost a whole year. Actually, yeah, they came in January, so technically, yeah, they have a whole year under them at USC, the whole season, which is really the most important part, see what they're able to do. Um, you know, even with the sanctions and everything, they've still been able to have a lot of recruiting momentum going into the year. All right. Well, Gerard, we appreciate the time. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you. Everyone else, thank you very much. This has been the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back on next Wednesday. Check in, get all your USC football news, and, of course, recruiting with Gerard Martinez. We will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.